Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. And a very warm welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show, continuing on this week for yet another episode in spite of astronomical public demand. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host tonight. And with me in the studio is a massive lad by the name of Tony Kerr. And he's shaking his head. He's shaking his head at that description of it. Take it back. Evening, Adam. How's it going this week, Tony? Uh, Yeah, really good, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for asking. (laughs) You're very welcome. Is this our Easter special? I guess it is. Our Easter, wait for this, extravaganza. Well, no. well, almost certainly this is when people will be listening to it, isn't it, over Easter? Over the Easter festival, whatever you call it. The Easter period? Easter. Easter, okay, yeah, yeah I, I suppose is what it's referred to most commonly. Is there, a, is there an Easter theme to it? What is an Easter theme? Death and rebirth, I guess. Or resurrection. What are we resurrecting on this week's episode Could resurrect the betting segment but maybe that'd be inappropriate i don't know <laughs> resurrect some of the old segments that, uh, <laughs> that bit the bullet a long time ago resurrect your career as a podcast host <laughs> oh. Oh. you're right it has been a bad few episodes for me <laughs> so uh, it's probably now's probably the time to uh, to get things back on track how was the wedding tone you were at a wedding this weekend weren't you yeah very good yeah excellent very very good wedding thought about the tears in the service did you really did, yeah well, I fought back. There was a moment when the music started where I started to well, but then, uh, but then I managed to pull it back. Do you know this person that well? Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, it was the thing I didn't think it would be affected, but yeah, turns out the emotion of yeah, a casual the, the acquaintance mo- of yours getting married <laughs> just really, really hit home. What's the song called? What's the wedding song called at the start? The da, 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 da. Yeah. The wedding song. The I wedding guess. song. Well, when the wedding song started on the organ, uh, it just hit me with a, kind of a wall of emotion. Uh, but then I did, you know, I held it back. I fought off the tears. But yeah, the, the chap sitting next to me later on in the service, when it all went quiet, let out an enormous, I let out, kind of took in an enormous sniff, a big wet sniff that really kind of gave the game away <laughs> that he was. Big wet sniff is right. a very unpleasant image. But you know, like when someone's a really teary sniff, yeah. I can't do an impression of it because I'm not crying now. <laughs> Kind of like that, but like more like really, yeah, I don't know, wet. Anyway, but he's actually in the studio next door, so let's bring him in. He is, isn't he? I can literally see him right now. Hi, Ollie. Hello, how are you doing? You put your headphones on, Adam. Yeah. Just te- I, I was just, got, I was just talking about your it. sniff. Uh, well, it was emotional, but I was the only one who sniffed. So everyone looked at me to say, oh, he's the one that's crying. But <laughs> you were as well, so. It was tough, wasn't it? It was tough. Faye looked um, like the, you know, emotional, and it's an emotional moment. And when they read the vows, they both sounded sad. Well, not sad, but they sounded <laughs> emotional. And, you know, it gets to you. Can I point out, this This is going to seem really <laughs> weird to the listeners, can I point out, we haven't brought Ollie along for this <laughs> no. segment of the show. He's just here anyway. No, I work in this studio and I'm just, like, still here well after hours, beavering away because I'm a great employee. <laughs> but I, was, I wasn't I was crying. I was just, you know, my, I was... Uh, 
not sad, emotional. My nose is running a bit, so I just went like that, and obviously you looked at me and were like, ooh, he's crying. But yeah. <laughs> ooh, what a loser, he's yeah, crying. But I was just sniffing, really. There's nothing embarrassing about sniffing, is there? Well, no. you have got a bit of a track record for that, though, haven't you? Because uh, I went to your sister's wedding. I did cry. Which, I mean, that's probably, you know, that's cool. fair enough that you cry at your sister's wedding, but it was, just, it was funny because you said to me before the ceremony, I'm probably going to find it quite hard to keep it together during this. And literally <laughs> yeah. one note of music. She hadn't even walked in yet. And you just went, oh! <laughs> I didn't make that sound. I've never made that sound in my life. But, my, my, you know, you've gone too far when your bottom lip starts to wobble and you can't control it. Um, so that was sad. I also had to do a reading, which I had to pause three quarters of the way through and go, excuse me, and then carry on, which is embarrassing in front of the whole, you know, congregation. So that was harder than FaZe, obviously, because, you know, Lucy's my sister. Yeah. I'm related to cricket. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thanks, Ollie. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. Thanks nice for joining evening. us, Ollie. Yeah. No, anytime. Next time. Yeah. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie Farman there, just in the studio next door to us. Yeah, we won't get him back on. No, no, no. Yeah. Absolute rubbish. Garbage. From is, it, is he still listening? Yeah. All right, yeah, he's nodding his head. He can hear it. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it was a good wedding all round. Uh, lively. Was it strange being at uh, a wedding when it was cold? A cold wedding? Because, you know, weddings normally in the summer. Is, and that are you trying to get hot. into the weather here? Can you tell? This is my link into the weather. It's good. It's a very slick piece of podcasting, that. Well, no, it's actually all right. It was quite nice. We were sat next to a radio, too, anyway, so it's quite warm in the wedding. It is still cold outside, isn't it? It's bloody freezing. But I'm sure that if you're anything like me, what you've been doing to warm yourself up is basking in the warm glow of England's stunning escape in Auckland. Uh, and we're going to be talking about that in great detail on tonight's show. Also coming up, some thoughts on India v Australia. India having just completed a whitewash in that series. So there's freaking loads to talk about there, Tim, isn't there? Freaking loads, yeah. It doesn't not have a spectacular escape, it was. Um, we'll obviously talk... We'll, we'll, you know, we'll kind of come to that. We'll probably talk we'll about probably it. We'll probably touch upon it, won't we? But it really annoys me how now everything, every time... There's any kind of spec, well, any kind of turnaround in sport. It's called the miracle at, you know. It's like, oh, the miracle at Auckland. It's like, it's, it's, shut up. Yeah, <laughs> don't call it that. What would you call it? I don't know. The draw Auckland. in Auckland. Auckland 2013, yeah. probably. The draw, yeah. The test match in Auckland. The draw series, yeah. Uh, I've had a bit of a rough week, Tone. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but uh, I woke up yesterday uh, with unbelievable toothache. Uh, so what I did today is I went to what's known as a dentist here we go, then listeners are thinking, oh, here we go. Adam's observations on going to the dentist. This will be hilarious. But, uh, but yeah, I, I haven't been to the dentist in way too long. I really hate it. I mean, no one really likes going to the dentist, do they? Uh, but I really don't like it. And I didn't think I looked too sort of uh, down on the whole thing. But I walked in and the dentist went, don't look so glum, bro. He's from South Africa, this guy. Uh, he went, don't look so glum, bro. I can tell this isn't your favourite place. You know, and I was like, oh, I didn't think I was looking too despondent about the whole thing. But in my experience, then, I don't know what you think, but the, the only people that get into dentistry are people whose stand-up comedy careers didn't quite work out. They just throw jokes at you constantly. No, it's true. I think, I think we've got the same dentist, haven't we? You're, you're on Queen's Raid. I am. But, yeah, but there's two, see, there's two South Africans there. I've, I've got Hilton. Who have uh, you got? I've, I've Stefan. Stefan. I was going to say, because Stefan plays like, metal music really loud at you. He's like, oh, what do you want to listen to? You're like, oh, I don't know. Sinatra or something, just something gentle. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, I just got, you know, mega death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what do you want to listen to? Ramstein, Metallica? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's, yeah. Well, what's Hilton like? Does he do that? No, he plays a CD of Queen's greatest hits. <laughs> and to be honest, I'm not sure what's worse. Because <laughs> I was lying there as he's sort of like poking around in my mouth. 
Just the, don't stop me now. <laughs> it was quite depressing, to be honest. But yeah, as I sat down, I sort of explained to him what the problem was. And he went, oh, it sounds expensive, yeah? I was like, oh, funny. <laughs> That's a good one. Good gag. And then as he was kind of poking around, he was like, sorry, you can probably see my hands are shaking. That's just my nerves. I was like, oh. <laughs> You're like, ah, ah, <laughs> yeah. ah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, his his conclusion ultimately was that um, it's pr- it's probably my wisdom teeth coming through. Tone just wasn't what you were this. looking for, was it? It wasn't really. Uh, but he wants to wait and see. He wants to uh, collate some more evidence. So he wants me to go back in a few days' time to see if anything's different. But it's not really what I, what I wanted to hear because I don't want it to be wisdom teeth. But also, I don't want to have to wait a few days because I'm in quite a lot of pain all the time. But yeah, it's like, I want you to do some detective work for me, Blue. He kept saying that. It's like, what, what are you talking about? What does like, he want you to do? I want you to do some detective work. He wants me to, like, make notes of, like, when it's most painful, whether it's more painful in different situations. Wow. But I was like, well, you're the dentist. This is like when you go to the doctor now and you explain your symptoms to the doctor and he goes, hmm, sounds interesting. I'll tell you what, I'll Google it. So yeah. well, I can do this at home. The internet needs to be completely kind of blocked out in surgeries and practices, doesn't it? Well, like The Apprentice. That's what they do. Well, yeah, they're not allowed to use the internet, are they? Worrying, though, because obviously all the people in The Apprentice are spectacularly inept. <laughs> and so if there's any kind of parallel between them and the people fixing you, I'd have a concern. The next time I go to the dentist, if it's Stuart Bags <laughs> poking around... Bags the brand. I will be slightly alarmed. England. Let's kick off the show with our wildly popular item, England, on which we talk about England. Now, England were involved in an extraordinary test match in Auckland this week, the miracle at Auckland, where they pulled off one of the great escape acts in their history to salvage a draw in a game that appeared to be gone when they were seven wickets down at tea on the final day. Uh, Just to run you through the scorecard, Tone. You can just sign out for a second. I will. Alistair Cook won the toss and made a catastrophic error in putting New Zealand in. Peter Fulton made 136. Kane Williamson, 91, as New Zealand racked up 443. In response, England were all out for 204. Pretty miserable effort, with only Matt Pryor's 73 uh, providing any resistance. Trent Bolt took six for 68. New Zealand could have enforced the follow-on, elected not to, That looked to be a a very dodgy decision when they were eight for three, but they recovered well thanks to another extraordinary century from Peter Fulton, 110. Brendan McCullum also with a quick fire, unbeaten 67. They made 241 for six to set England a target of 481. That was obviously out of the question. It was very much a case of just trying to bat out for a draw. They were in big trouble when they started the final day on 91 for four. Uh, But Ian Bell and Joe Root stuck together for the best part of 30 overs. But when Root fell, Bairstow followed soon after. It looked like England were going to slide to defeat, but some heroic resistance uh, from Bell, who made 75 from 271 balls. uh, Stuart Broad, 6 from 77. And Matt Pryor with an extraordinary unbeaten 110 from 182. Uh, There was some real drama at the end. They lost another couple of wickets and it was left to Monty Panizar and Pryor to see things through and with one wicket remaining England claimed a draw and fans all over the UK woke up Tuesday morning to news of a stunning Houdini act so before we get into the details of the game saying what an extraordinary climax that was Uh, a great advert for test cricket that's what they always say isn't it I mean I've never seen any of these adverts actually run you know in the advert breaks perhaps we should go into that business (laughs) do you like two and a half runs and over (laughs) test cricket that's the campaign that I'd run Pretty uh, pretty convincing, yeah. 
Well, I think we should pitch it. Do you enjoy Maiden Overs from Bruce Martin? <laughs> Test cricket. Every field around the bat. Test cricket, I guess, but I'm not sure I like your format of... Sick of sixes. <laughs> Test cricket. I could do it. I could just do it uh, if we did the radio spots. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, like you say, advert, classic, test cricket, all of these kind of put those into a sentence, <laughs> really. Just, uh, yeah, at your own will. Uh, yeah, fantastic, wasn't it? This is what England do, isn't it, really, in the last few years? It is almost as good as a win. Yeah, in terms of excitement and, and, and thrills, it is better than a win, probably. Oh, in terms of tension and excitement, I think these nine-wicket draws are just about the pinnacle for me. I, I don't think it gets more exciting. Uh, there is something so uniquely compelling about watching tail-enders battle it out in these situations. Everybody remembers Jimmy and Monty at Cardiff, Onions at Centurion, Onions at Cape Town, and everyone will remember Monty again, won't they, in this game, his... His heroic dive. That was genius, wasn't it? It was absolutely spectacular. <laughs> it was astonishing. I mean, it's brilliant because he did make his ground, but if he hadn't, if he dived and just ended up short of his ground and been run out... It would have been Monty again. I just so, don't know what would have happened. I think that's what the beauty of Monty is, that he kind of just treads the line between kind of genius and idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, like, perfectly. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a fantastic conclusion. There were so many kind of unbelievable heart-and-mouth moments in uh, that final day, and particularly as it got towards the end. Well, and the miracle at Auckland uh, does join the ranks of, of all those the other, other games, uh, as all those other miracles that I mentioned. I mean, as an England fan, I, I think you're right. They, those games are uh, not any more exciting, but I think more memorable and in some ways more satisfying uh, than most victories. I mean, if you think about that South Africa series three years ago, uh, there were two nine-wicket draws, weren't there, in, in that series in Centurion and Cape Town. I mean, I remember much more about those than I do about the game at Durban, which England won. Like, I mean, th- those are the things that people will remember about that series. Yeah, I remember it like Cardiff. I remember vividly a lot of that, I don't know, the last kind of 40 minutes of play, uh, really vividly, much more so than any other moment in the series. I can't remember anything else. The 2009 Ashes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you know what you mean? I mean, this time England's heroes were Matt Pryor, who played one of the defining innings of his career. What was it, his seventh Test 100? Uh, Stuart Broad who defied his recent rubbish batting form to hang around for two hours, and Ian Bell, who batted for more than six hours, answering growing criticisms from the commentary books that he never produces under pressure. That simply isn't true for me. It used to be true. It used to be the thing about Ian Bell that he couldn't produce under pressure, but in recent years, that isn't the case. Yeah, he was great. I mean, Pryor's innings was unbelievable in many ways, but just watching him try and kind of bring himself under control you know there was uh, he hit one pull shot where he kind of verbally addressed himself afterwards yeah. uh, that was the one where he went to his hundred with a with a pull shot for four didn't he uh, and then he was yelling at himself but yeah he was not very happy and i mean you know he still hit 24s in the in the innings and went along at quite a rate i mean I'd, you know if he'd batted any longer he'd have ended up with quite a big score i know and it is funny because like those shots paid off and fair play to him and you know great execution he, he did everything right but if he had top-edged one and been caught a fine leg, he would have got absolutely slaughtered. Yeah, I mean, you can't complain in though, can you? In present form. Oh, I'm not complaining. Um, yeah. yeah, he he did it, but it's that's why I think it's sometimes a bit ridiculous when people have a go at the likes of Kevin Peterson for playing shots and and holding out. It's like, well, it's not the shot selection that's the problem; it's the execution. Yeah. Isn't Although it? I guess you know there is somewhat less responsibility on Pryor in as yeah in the team. You mean Pryor shouldn't have been the the yeah. one? It, it I, which I just I don't actually tend to agree with, but yeah. New Zealand will be extremely frustrated and may well feel, with some justification, uh, that they deserved to win. 
Uh, but on the other hand, if you can't take 10 wickets in the second innings, then you don't win, do you? I mean, nine wickets is great, but it isn't 10 wickets. I mean, they dropped a load, didn't they? Countless times the ball was chopped past the stumps. Ian uh, Bell dropped by Dean Brownlee uh, in the slips, wasn't he? Uh, and then he, he batted for another couple of hours after that. So and they dropped two, two in two balls? They did, although the second one... They, no, they dropped two in three balls, I think. The second drop was off Johnny Bairstow, so that wasn't nearly so costly. But the Bell drop ultimately was the difference between uh, winning and drawing that game. I can understand the frustration of New Zealand players and fans, but they did have 140 overs to bowl at England. There was no rain. If you can't do it in 140 overs, then maybe you don't deserve to win. But yeah, undoubtedly, they they outplayed England over the, the, the previous four days of the game. Yeah, it's really frustrating. But then England have been on the wrong end of, of plenty of these results in recent years as well. Antigua in 2009, Lords 2007 against India, Lords 2006 against Sri Lanka, Old Trafford 2005. I mean, going back, a reasonable distance there but people don't give England sympathy for not finishing those games off you've got to take 10 wickets you don't get to win just because you deserve it outplaying a team for four days isn't enough you've got to finish the job on the final day but that said it is undoubtedly true that at the start of this series at the start of the game even England fans would not have been expecting to be celebrating a nil-nil result uh, like it was a great triumph I mean they didn't just have to settle for a draw they scraped a draw to what extent, Tone, uh, has the late drama... This is an exam question. To what extent has the late drama in Auckland papered over what was, in reality, a, a pretty lacklustre performance from England in this game and in this series? Yeah, well, emotionally it has, for sure, because, like, as you say, kind of overriding senses that, oh, you know, good on England, they've, what a performance on that last day. Uh, but, yeah, I mean kind of critically no uh, it hasn't really it's it's definitely been a very disappointing series they've let me down at every possible point uh yeah after each test still predicted England to win and I don't know I just it's hard to explain quite where they've gone so wrong Uh, it changed it'd be really interesting now to see how New Zealand get on in England that's a series to look forward to now as opposed to just beforehand it seemed like oh it would just be a little bit of fun before the ashes actually yeah, that could be the hardest series this summer <laughs> oh, well, on, on this this form, anyway. But yeah, no, I mean, emotionally, yes. Tactically and technically and critically, no. I'm not sure it was a yes/no question that I asked you, but okay. Yeah, you're you're right that um, England fans are going to have reasonably fond memories of this tour purely on the basis of of what happened at the end. There, or, you know, they'll remember, as I say, they'll remember Panazar batting it out, Panazar's dive, and forget how average England have been otherwise in trying to explain it the first thing to say is that New Zealand played fantastically well as you say it's going to be very interesting when they come to England but they do look a pretty decent side and and much much better than we were expecting before the series and we certainly weren't isolated in our our view of them were we Um, the bowling has been excellent in this game Trent Bolt was unplayable at times and Tim Southey was very threatening throughout the series without much luck Neil Wagner was good as well he huffed and puffed didn't he ran in hard and he actually ended up the leading wicket taker on either side with 12 also the inspiration for possibly my favorite chant of all time which i heard in wellington i don't know if you heard this because it was one guy singing on his own and he only did it once but it was brilliant. He went, Wag na 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 Neil Wagner. It was one guy on his own. He went round and round for about 15 minutes. I was like, that is genius. The trumpet on the last day was ridiculous, wasn't it? It was it was constant. Yeah. 
Uh, I think, I, yeah, I think I, I cracked wise at one point. It was more like a jazz recital than a test match. <laughs> uh, I, just, I just wonder what that, like the players in the middle are thinking, you know, like kind of half three, uh, when everyone in the crowd is just, no one's really concentrating on the cricket at all. They're just kind of jumping around and listening to this guy play. And every time something happens on the pitch, uh, and, you know, the drop catches, the circus music. Oh, That's it's genius. great banter, isn't it? Is it's fantastic yeah. banter when when Brownlee put down Bell and just immediately... It's so good. <laughs> and also when... Uh, even the countdown theme when, <laughs> no, when they're waiting for a review. Out. It's brilliant. Everything came out. How's that go? Yeah, but the bit before that is ding 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 ding, and then if the decision goes against New Zealand, they go. It's it's great banter, isn't it? But anyway, yeah, the the New Zealand bowling, as I say, it was very good, but we expected it to be good, didn't we? But perhaps what we didn't expect was for the batting to be as good as it was, to be as resilient as it was. England didn't take 20 wickets once. They didn't even come that close to taking 20 wickets. There were three players in particular that stood out. Kane Williamson uh, averaged more than 50. He's going to be a terrific Test match player, I think, and he demonstrated again in this series the the sort of talent that he has. Brendan McCullum was dismissive of England's bowlers at time. He averaged 82. And Peter Fulton defied his critics to hit astonishing twin hundreds in Auckland. It's a, it's a fantastic story, isn't it? The Peter Fulton story. Uh, to come back into the team at the age of 34 with a test average of 20 and hit 200s in the same game is remarkable. And, I mean, he certainly deserved to be on the winning side, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, what did he score in this game in total? What, 240-odd in this in this match? Ultimately, it was a poor decision by England to put uh, to put New Zealand in on the first day, but credit's got to go to Fulton for that. It was a big knock and... Everyone was thinking, oh, you know, England have got a real chance. You know, they should go and, uh, you know, they can't be this, they can't be poor again. Uh, or New Zealand can't get the better of them again. But it didn't take long for Fulton to just put that to bed and kind of England were on the back foot. Well, what were they, 270 for one at the end of, of the first day? And yeah, it was Fulton that had, had done the bulk of the damage. And then again, in the second innings, that was arguably a better 100 because mm. he, he did it at a much better rate. He was smacking Panazal for sixes, wasn't he? Even after that first innings knock, people were saying, oh, yeah, he's got 100, but... You know, it wasn't a, a particularly fluent innings, but then in the in the second dig, he just went out and tonked the bowlers around. So yeah, that was uh, all very encouraging for New Zealand. I mean, they've still got a long way to go, and I think there are still some areas of weakness in that team. Dean Brownlee hasn't been enormously convincing at number five, uh, but they do look much better equipped to to compete in this form of the game than they did three matches ago. Uh, you know, the personnel haven't changed all that much, but they are they're just applying themselves much better. Uh, they've been well led, which helps, I think. Brendan McCullum is proving to be an excellent captain. Uh, the Ross Taylor fiasco was plainly handled calamitously badly, but the idea behind it is looking more and more like a, a pretty good one, I think. And that idea was the coaches, Mike Hessens. You know, he got a, an enormous amount of stick for the way he handled the Taylor affair, and rightly so. But perhaps he should get a little bit of credit for, you know, at least it looks like it, it was probably the right idea, even if it was executed very badly. Ross Taylor's come out and said he still doesn't feel entirely comfortable in the setup. Maybe not the best thing to do, I don't know. Well, it's, a, it's an odd piece of timing in a way, but then I suppose he was just asked the question. I guess maybe, yeah, just an honest answer. Yeah, and you can understand why he does still feel a bit uncomfortable, but I think I'm sure New Zealand will just stick with him and he'll probably sort of uh, get past it at some point. 
So part of the reason for England's struggles in this series is that New Zealand played really, really well, and that shouldn't be forgotten in all the analysis. But England didn't do themselves justice here, did they? Too many players weren't at the races. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's hard to know whether the batsmen or the bowlers were more at fault, but probably you'd, uh, on the side of the blaming the batsmen more. Uh, yes, New Zealand bowled really well, but certainly not enough runs on the board at any time. Well, the, not on pitches that flat. Yeah. Given what New yeah, exactly, given what New Zealand's batsmen were doing. But yeah, put you know, Root for all the talk didn't deliver. Now that doesn't make him a bad player by any means, and he yeah, he's still an excellent prospect, but I think that kind of paid to all the Compton chat, didn't it? Pretty quickly. Yeah, it was it was quite a difficult series for Joe Root. He put in an excellent effort on the final day in Auckland, stuck around for a long time, but he only averaged seventeen across the series. I mean I, I caught quite a few people actually on Twitter. Uh, describing Root as being along the lines of the one positive to come out of the series. There's this perception that somehow he had a good tour. I think people just sort of find the narrative they want to find, yeah. don't they? If it was hard to argue that he had a good tour. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If Compton had averaged 17, people would be having kittens, wouldn't they? But uh, <laughs> but because it's Root, so well, you know, he's he's looking he's looking good, looking he's building for the for the future. So yeah, plenty not enough runs. You know, Pryor really dug England out very obviously on the last day, but also. Wasn't uh, the first innings exactly, of the game at as various well. Various times during the during the series and yeah, in that last match. And also with Pryor, he took an unbelievable catch. I mean, he he had an astonishing series, brilliant with the bat, and continues to be virtually flawless behind the stumps, isn't he? Which is still worth talking about because if you think about when Matt Pryor came into the team, he was a pretty rubbish gloveman, wasn't he? I mean, he he was identified as being a potentially world class batsman, but he had massive issues with the gloves. Uh, but now he's the best in the world with the gloves. I mean, he, he hardly ever makes a mistake. And, you know, the catch down the leg side of Fulton was unbelievable. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the batting, it just it wasn't good enough. Uh, they, they did produce a couple of tremendous backs-to-the-wall efforts, didn't they, in Dunedin and Auckland. But they also produced a couple of first-innings collapses on lifeless pitches. And, yeah, that that's that's a big concern, I think. It's tough to identify a specific reason for that. The absence of Peterson probably didn't help in Auckland, but, you know, sometimes you're not going to have your first-choice team, are you? So, yeah, maybe quite a bit of work still for Andy Flower and Graham Gooch to do with the batsmen. I think Broad said today, you know, complacency wasn't a factor. But, I don't know, the list of possible reasons isn't endless, is it? And clearly the England side and many... All, if not you know, most, if not all, sorry, of the uh, of the team are clearly world class players who, who have the capability of p- playing really, really well. So, I don't know. I, there is, I think, there's got to be an element of complacency in there. Well, yeah. I mean, for them to play so well in India and then be so mediocre here, it, it's hard to kind of square those two series results, isn't it? Unless yeah. there is an element of complacency. Now, and- Broad, Broad's come out and said uh, there was no complacency involved. I mean, what's he going to say? Is he going to come out? Was there complacency involved, Stuart? Yeah. Yeah, we were yeah, really well, complacent. I don't, really, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't say that, though. Well, is he going to, though? Well, if, it's, if, it, you know, if upon reflection he feels that the team did get slightly complacent, then I'd, I would encourage him to say that. Because could... it is kind of... Under- One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Understandable, you know, everyone, everyone said, or a lot of people said, including us, you know, oh, yeah, you know, brilliant points in India. Now it's often New Zealand where the conditions are going to suit them. You know, the bowlers are going to really enjoy it. It's going to be easier for the batsmen. You know, they're not going to be facing acres and hours of spin. Probably they did get complacent. They're probably a little bit knackered as well uh, because they had virtually no time at home between the India tour and the New Zealand tour. Probably more tired than us. <laughs> We're pretty tired. Hard to believe looking at you. <laughs> Thanks. But yeah, I mean, I mean, we talk about broads and yeah, the, the whole bowling attack. I sound like David Lloyd, don't I? <laughs> Talk about broad. The, the whole bowling attack does concern me a little bit. Uh, we got a question from Mike Tate on Twitter. Will England's bowlers struggle against Australia the same way they have against New Zealand? What do you think, Tane? When we say complacency, we say tiredness. Could both of those things possibly apply to the Ashes as well? Well, I mean, you know, clearly you know, our hopes of England uh, steamrolling Australia in the Ashes have taken a massive hit after these three tests. Before the first test, Stuart was talking about 10-0 in the Ashes. He's probably not going to be talking about that now, see. After the India performance, had England gone and won 3-0, we'd have been really hopeful. Whether, and the, the worry is, you know, uh, yeah, you know, if Michael Clark, presumably he's going to be fit and, and firing, you know, we, we know Michael Clark's an exceptional batsman. That's going to be tough. Yeah, we didn't expect England to have so much trouble with, you know, what is quite the, looked quite a pedestrian or quite an ordinary batting lineup. Uh, this New Zealand side, you know, what's Phil Hughes going to do now? Is he? He must be licking his lips. Phil Hughes, if he gets picked. Yeah, I don't know if I'm too worried about Phil Hughes, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe Phil Hughes, but maybe some of the others. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, I used a jest at Phil Hughes, but you know, that's what people will be saying about Australia's batting lineup. Oh, you know, it's not doesn't look that good. But yeah, I think England have got a big task on their hands now. Well, they've got like two months, a month before New Zealand turn up in England. A month and a half. Yeah. So split the difference. Split the difference. Yeah. Get it right. Yeah, they got between a month and two months to get ready for New Zealand turning up in England. And yeah, Andy Flower's got a big task now. Well, I mean, none of England's bowlers swung a ball all series. It wasn't the uh, it wasn't quite the conditions that we were expecting, perhaps in New Zealand. But still, that is alarming because you'd think that New Zealand would be a swing bowler's paradise. I mean, not even Jimmy Anderson swung a ball, and he's he's one of the best, if not the best swing bowler in the world I mean he was some way below his his peak form throughout the series I think that was partly tiredness partly injury um but yeah for him to not even be swinging the ball is worrying I'm sure they will be much more effective with the Duke ball in England but it does flag up one or two concerns about the campaign in Australia where they're going to have the kookaburra again if they can't find any swing then it is going to be really tough Steve Finn was inconsistent Broad showed some signs I think of, of returning to his best but still had lapses. His attitude in the field bothers me sometimes. On that fourth morning when New Zealand were piling on the runs, he was screaming at the fielders from like over number two. 
stomping around with his hands on his hips, you know, after like one over that had cost him 11 or something. I mean, that's that's not a great attitude, I don't think. Monty Panazar was a hero with the bat, wasn't he, at the end? But he had a, a pretty poor series with the ball, averaged 70. Managed to keep control for the most part, but not all the time. When Fulton came at him in Auckland, he, he didn't really have any answers. I think underlining just how important Graham Swan is. If he doesn't get back to fitness for the Ashes... I'm not sure how confident I would feel about Panazar being the lead spinner, you know, unless there is something in the pitch for him. He's just not the same threat that Swan is. Broad, firstly, uh, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, it isn't good. I really like Stuart Broad as a, as a cricketer and from you know, most part as a character as well. But, you know, as a bowler, I think, uh, yes, you need the fielders to take catches. If you find an edge, you need your fielder to, to bat you up and catch it. But otherwise, you know, you can't really complain to anyone else but yourself. Yeah, if you you know if you're not getting the results, bowl faster. You know, get it to swing. Yeah, there it's was kind of ultimately it's his responsibility. Well, absolutely. There was one bit where uh, I think it was McCullum or maybe Fulton played a pull shot and it went for four, and he was absolutely tearing into Monty Panazar for not being where he hit the ball. Panazar was where Broad had told him to be. So it's like, well, don't bowl it there, Stuart, if you don't <laughs> want to get pulled for four. Yeah, agreed. And Panazar, yeah, you know, when Panazar came back into the team, it was and did well. It was a case of. Yes, it's great to see him back inside and really awesome for him to be doing well. But most places, obviously, England aren't going to play two spinners. And, and Swan's proved it that he is the guy. So, yeah, I think Panazar, it, will, it will be a big blur if Swan's out in the ashes. And like you said, I agree with you, Panazar, possibly not up to it. Well, if, if England prepare some turning pitches in, in England or if, you know, if they get to a Adelaide or Sydney and think they need two spinners, and you know, I've got every confidence that Panazar can do that job, but it's like he needs Swan to be there to sort of bear the load of being the number one spinner. And I'm just not sure that, that he's up to it on his own. And also it massively weakens the the fielding, the slip catching Swan not being there. And also the batting, you know, Steve Finn batting at nine, for all that he, he made some runs uh, in Dunedin, that looks much more vulnerable, doesn't it, than uh, than Graham Swan? I love how after, yeah, after Finn's knock, uh, everyone's like, well, Finn is the... He is now England's tail end night watchman. You know, he's the guy. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and then he made no more yeah. runs to the throughout <laughs> the series. Overall, then, Tane, what's your assessment of this series? Obviously, you predicted 3 0. It didn't quite work out like that, did it? Egg on face, Easter egg on my face. I think we both said that we couldn't see there being any draws. You predicted 3 0, I predicted 2 1. Yeah. No draws. There was nothing but. There was nothing but. 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 Uh, Butter. Yeah, but uh, there were oh, there was obviously a lot of rain. You know, two damp jaws where you'd expected it. You know, it wasn't. We weren't a million miles away from three results. Were we? <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, you well, know. in bare numbers, in raw statistics, we're one wicket we're away from result of the last match. Well, so I'm just digging myself out here. <laughs> anyway, well, let's just speak of predictions. What? Uh, it's quite interesting to hear what your composite eleven is like. Well, here you go. Yeah. Do you want to hear? I've been looking 11? forward to this. Have you got my composite eleven? I there? don't have it to hand. All right, you were just flicking around on your iPad. I thought you'd. <laughs> I thought you'd transcribe my composite <laughs> eleven done. from the episode a few weeks ago. All right. Well, just this give, is, have you got your initial composite eleven? I've got it here. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was Cook, Compton, Trot, Peterson, Bell, Taylor, Pryor, Swan, Salvi, Finn, Anderson. This is my post-series eleven. Fulton and Compton are my openers. Then a middle order of Trot, Williamson, McCullum, and Ian Bell at number six. Then Matt Pryor as my wicketkeeper. And then a seam bowling attack of Salvi, Broad, and Bolt 
and my spinner is Bruce Martin. So players that are in both teams, Compton, Trot, Pryor, Salvi. So I've got seven wrong. Uh, and in terms of a New Zealand-England split, there's now six New Zealanders and five England players. What do you make of that team tone? You might say Ian Bell's a bit debatable. He had a, a, he had a pretty poor series, didn't he, until the second innings of the last test. But then he did produce one of the defining innings of the series. And also the, there wasn't too much competition around that sort of number six. Yeah. Place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bell did well. I mean, it depends if you're, if you're kind of trying to build a proper team. I mean, Rutherford was pretty spectacular innings, kind of set the tone for the series, didn't it? Yeah, but then the Fulton top. and Compton both made 200s yeah. each. It's an odd thing, though, isn't it? Because uh, before the series, you said, oh, these New Zealand openers, are they going to score any runs at all? And there's huge pressure on Compton. And then out of the four openers on either side, Alistair Cook's the only one that you'd say hasn't really got much of a claim to be in that team. And yeah, it's been the opening batsmen that have been the, the standout batsman throughout the series really hasn't it will you miss this series thing well i miss it yeah uh well, i missed most of it <laughs> hey, hey, hey. that's quite there a good guy cheers mate listeners may have been able to tell from much of your punditry that you missed quite well, a lot i was it. away for one of the matches no i watched a lot of most of the tests one and three uh yeah the third test was was a great test match so yes i guess i, I miss i miss test cricket or england being involved in test cricket being on because i haven't got long to wait there's going to be a lot of that in the next 12 months. So, yeah. Uh, it's not too much of a worry. You should to probably enjoy this <laughs> yeah, little break, exactly. actually. Cause... Well, you know, and what we got, it's the IPL, isn't it, to look forward oh, to? So, God. Are you going to miss it? I think quite I will a, miss it. It's, it's been quite both. Quite a motive question that you've pulled out there. It's been both more boring and more exciting than I expected. Like, it's a completely different type of series to the one I was expecting. I thought, you know, ball will be hooping around, you know, teams getting bowled out for 180, 220. And that's really not what it's been at all. Well, it's England been... played their part, didn't they? <laughs> well, England yeah. had a go. Yeah. Uh, but there's been sort of very dead surfaces trying to grind teams down. So in a lot of ways, it's been very dull. And there have been some innings in the series, like England in the second innings at Auckland, where batsmen have had strike rates of like 15. So yeah, in that sense, it's been pretty boring. But in another sense, it's been very tense at times and some really memorable cricket. And I've just been so impressed with New Zealand. Day one, Dunedin. Uh, I sat up till about, I don't know, stupid o'clock when I had to get up really early uh, to see no cricket, which really annoyed me. So it took me a while to get over how annoying that was. <laughs> uh, but uh, once I kind of... It took you a while to forgive yeah, the series. Yeah, exactly. A couple of Nick Knight moments from the... This final test made me laugh. I say a couple, one mainly. Uh, We're getting a lot of tweets from people just with the hashtag night out. <laughs> night out, big night out. Big night out. Uh, <laughs> there was the bit that really made me laugh though where there was the ball that hit prior kind of in the throat or whatever and then dropped onto the stumps. And then on the replay, <laughs> night goes uh, prior uh, trying to get out of the way of it. Hard onto the stumps. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how did he crowbar that in? <laughs> Trying to get out of the way of it. Actually, we talk about his catchphrase being, has he got enough of it? But really his catchphrase is, now then. Because he, he yeah. says that for everything. Now then, has he got enough of it? <laughs> yeah. like, now then, has he got out of <laughs> the way of it? Impression. <laughs> also, like uh, Lloyd, who always, you know, whenever there's a drop catch, on the re- you go, catch it, you know, on the replay. It'll get replayed like four times, and every time we'll go, oh, catch it. <laughs> <laughs> Around the world. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk about things that have been happening all around the world in cricket. Uh, Let's head across once again to India, uh, where this week the hosts wrapped up a 4-0 whitewash of Australia with victory in the final test in Delhi 
Australia batted first. They were 189 for eight at one point. Recovered a bit through Peter Siddle, who made 51, and James Patterson, who made 30, to end up 262. Ravi Ashwin taking five for 57. Uh, India found life much tougher in their first innings than they had in any of the previous games, despite a century-opening stand between Murali Vijay and Chiteshwar Pajara. Australia came roaring back through Nathan Lyon, who took seven for 94. Terrific figures for him. India were all out for 272. That was a lead of just 10. Australia may have been sniffing victory at that point, but they collapsed yet again in the second innings of a test match. 164 all out. Ravi Jadeja taking five for 58. That left India with a target of 155. Again, they made slightly heavy weather of it, but reached their target with six wickets in hand. Pajara, 82, not out. So that sealed a 4-0 whitewash, and it looked inevitable, didn't it, in a way, that it was going to end up like that from the moment that MS Dhoni uh, went on the rampage with that double hundred in Chennai. Absolutely remarkable transformation from the series in Australia 14 months ago, which, of course, ended 4-0 to Australia. Is this just about conditions, Dane? Was this just a case of India being so much more comfortable in their own conditions, Australia being so much more uncomfortable in those conditions? Or are the two teams in very different places now than they were 14 months ago? Yeah, I think it's more the latter, isn't it? You look at Test cricket now, England won in India, then they couldn't do it in New Zealand. The conditions are important, obviously, but I think, yeah, outweighed by India's kind of slight mini resurgence. Uh, they seem to have kind of dug out a better selection policy. You know, moving on a couple of couple of players and bringing a couple of fresh faces in has done them good. Austra- I mean, we always talk about the Ashes as being the pinnacle of kind of test cricket, the, the series that everyone wants to look forward to. Well, classic's going to be this summer, isn't it? Neither side looking any good at the moment. <laughs> so... Uh, could be a series to determine which of two fairly mediocre teams is less mediocre. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I think I think this is largely about the two teams being in different um, situations than they were in Australia last year. But then before the series, you wouldn't have necessarily said that that was the case. Before this, Australia had only lost one test series in two years, and that was against South Africa. And they ran them pretty close in that series, much closer than anyone else has. And meanwhile, India were in a spiral after the England series defeat, weren't they? So the pre-series expectations were that this was going to be pretty close. I think I predicted two all. You would have said that Australia had a very good chance of getting something out of this, but they've been absolutely annihilated, beaten very heavily in all four games. They, I think conditions do play a large part. Australia have simply failed to adapt. And also I think what's been most important is that the particular weaknesses in that Australian team have been exposed by these conditions. The fast bowlers haven't been able to cover up the problems that they have in the other departments in the way that they have been able to in Australia and in other parts of the world. Uh, Mitchell Stark only took two wickets in the entire series. Uh, He didn't play in Delhi. Mitchell Johnson came in and he had an absolute nightmare. No wickets and I think three runs or something like that. So yeah, it hasn't been a great series for the Australian fast bowler and therefore, ergo, it hasn't been a great series for Australia at all. But yeah, as you say, India have regrouped magnificently. They've made what I think are very sensible changes to their squad. And they've got a much better look about them now, I think. It looks like a more balanced side with Jadeja at seven. uh, And he's just been a revelation. He's had an unbelievable series. I think he took 25 wickets, which is extraordinary. Questions remain about how their bowling attack will go outside of Asia. I think Ashwin and Jadeja... Jadeja took 25 wickets. I think Ashwin took 28 wickets. So between them... 29. 29, was it? So between them, they got 54 of the 80 Australian wickets to fall. Is it that likely that either of those bowlers will be as effective 
anywhere else in the in the world so that is a question but it's a question i think for another day you know they did the job that they had to do they they played the way they needed to play uh, and they preyed on the weaknesses of the Australian team. And they did that very effectively. What about Sachin Tendulkar? He he started the series very well. What did he get? Eighty odd. Eighty one, I think. Eighty one in Chennai, but then no runs whatsoever after that. It doesn't look as though this is going to be his last series. Someone called us out on this on Twitter. I forget who it was. Uh, I haven't got the name here, and it's a while ago now, so I'm not sure I can find it that easily. But um, I think uh, in the Dunedin Test, when Nick Compton was batting. And it was at the start of the innings and the commentators were talking about nothing else for about 45 minutes than, you know, oh, there's a lot of pressure on Compton. And I tweeted some hilarious gag about, uh, oh, is Nick Compton under pressure? It's surprising the commentators haven't mentioned it. And someone instantly fired back, do you think this could be Sachin Tendulkar's last test series? Perhaps you could talk about that on your next podcast. I think that is something that we discuss constantly, isn't it? Is this going to be Sachin's last series? Yeah, it's every series. <sighs> I, I don't know. It's almost now as boring as waiting for his 100-100, which eventually came. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe he'll play on for another, like, three or four years. But on form, you'd say that that surely can't be too likely. It's just a bit of a sad state of affairs, isn't it? Because at this point, when Tendulkar comes in, you think, oh, we go, he's a walking wicket. Yeah, yeah. Which is not the way that he should be going out, is it? No, we've talked about this before, though, and I think, you know, if he want, if he's enjoying it... It's hard to imagine he's enjoying it because he's not going to get any runs, but he presumably enjoys getting runs. But yeah, if he is enjoying it anyway, uh, you know, let him get on with it. He's earned it. Maybe India could think about sliding him down the order a little bit. <laughs> how, how low? Eleven? <laughs> yeah. Well, at the moment, no, I don't know. But you know, just give him a little bit more protection, perhaps. I've drawn up a composite eleven for you, Tane. How about this? Two composite elevens in one episode. Do you want to hear it? Yep. Okay, so I've got openers: Murali Vijay and Ed Cowan. Then a middle order. Of Shiteshwar Pajara, Michael Clark, Virat Kohli. Uh, MS Dhoni is my wicket keeper. Then I've got Jadeja at seven. Ashwin and Lyon as my spinners. And then two fast bowlers, James Pattinson and Bhuvneshwar Kumar. So there are seven Indians and four Australians. What do you make of that 11 tone? Do you think that's an uh, accurate reflection? Seven Indians and four Australians? Or do you think, you know, perhaps I could have found some room for some more Indians? Yeah, you, you might have done. In a, you know, in a 4 0 victory, it's potentially, you'd think, perhaps more one-sided but you know as you well reasoned earlier you know Ashwin and Jadeja kind of did most of the work so you know there is probably room for a couple of Aussies in there well actually the this Indian fauna whitewash has been has been founded on a handful of players I mean not so much with the the batting but Vijay and Pajara have scored scored an enormous number of runs between them obviously Shikhar Dewan uh, hit that astonishing innings in uh, Mahali but other than that there's not been an enormous amount of runs from the Indian top order and then, like, Sharma and Kumar did barely didn't have to do anything. Both fairly average, yeah. And Pragyanosha, I think, only got six or seven wickets. It's really Ashwin and Jadeja that did the damage. Well, I mean, yeah. Kumar and Ashwin both played all, te- all four tests. Kumar bowled 64 overs, Ashwin 240 overs. Uh, so I'm sure Kumar really enjoyed that. <laughs> just, just stood on the boundary day after day, wondering when he's going to get a chance. That's like my whole cricket career <laughs> when I was younger. You'll like this one, Tone. I hope so. It's topical. Much like David Miliband's career in parliamentary politics, this episode of the World Cricket Show has come to an end. Well, but he'd probably be back soon, won't he? Do you reckon? So, is this well, is this one seven eight? Uh, what are we? One seven seven. Oh, one seven seven. So, he's saying that one seven seven might come back in a few years to kind of try and take over the party. <laughs> Maybe one seven seven will make a return. That'd be weird. 
That would be weird, actually, if we just kind of did 177 again. <laughs> just talked about the England New Zealand series. Oh, David Miliband. Right. <laughs> so on that note, yeah. Have you enjoyed this episode, Tane? Uh, yeah, more than usual. What have you got lined up for this weekend? Um, it's Easter, of course. It's isn't Easter. It? So, no, I'm playing in a hockey festival. Have actually. you wait for this? Have you got anything exciting in store? Yeah, I'm playing in a very exciting hockey festival. All right, well, don't, well, don't rabbit on about yeah, it. That's good. Sorry, uh, you're trying to tell me about this hockey. Yeah, festival. traditional. You don't like hockey. Why are you playing hockey? Because it's fun. No, I don't know. It'll be fun. It's because good. it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, no, it's gonna be a fun. the Easter hockey festival. Seventy fifth year it's been going. I don't understand. You hate hockey. I don't hate hockey. I just don't. I just never really played it. Yeah, but not only are you playing hockey, but you're organising yeah, this no, yeah. team. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. You're going around asking people to play hockey. Yeah. You asked me. I was like, I really don't like hockey, and neither do you. Why are you asking me this? Yeah, but you, as we've learned in the past few years, I've gone back on a number of strong opinions that I once held. I've softened <laughs> my policy on hockey. My stance I on hockey is softened. Being in a shop with you, and you just came. You were like, right. I don't know why you were looking at like some newspapers or magazines. I just or look something. at it. It was like say, say what you see, basically. Yeah, you were like, there are four things I hate at the moment: online poker, Sudoku, James Blunt. I can't remember what the fourth thing was, but uh, but yeah, now your online poker, online betting—that's like how you spend your free time. Uh, you love a bit of Sudoku, don't you? And, no, I, I truly and you went hate to, and you went to that James Blunt gig the other week, so. You're, you've uh, gone back uh, on everything you once stood for, Tane. Yeah, I mean, I didn't stand for a lot though. But then, no, uh, no, obviously not. But yeah, hockey. I, you know, I never really played it very well at school. It just used to hurt my back. So, uh, but it's Aww. an excuse to. Well, it's an excuse to get together, you know, with a few mates and and just you know enjoy the weekend. Uh, so yeah, I suspect you're going you, to be you enjoying were, you know, it rather I, heavily. You were going to be the kind of centerpiece of my attacking hockey. You were key in my plans to. Uh, to the kind of thrilling, swashbuckling round of hockey that I want to roll out this weekend. Right. But I, I've had to really change my plans. Yeah, because I'm... Because you unavailable. I'm away, yeah. Thing is, I was away, I was away last Easter as well. You might remember I went to uh, Orlando, Florida. <laughs> but I was in Florida, and at one point I uh, went on the internet, checked Facebook. I was like, huh, oh, haven't been on Facebook for over a week. I... Uh, I wonder what's going on back at home, whether there's, you know, how people are. I wonder how the, how the lads are. I opened up on my newsfeed, there's just loads of pictures of you in a pink hockey shirt, just doing funnels. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. It's like, it was, what has happened since mate, I've been away? Go away? I think I'm the glue that holds this yeah, yeah, society together. I think you might be. Uh, well, anyway, yeah, I'm away. I'm in the Lake District with my family, which should be fun. Although... The, there's so much snow in the UK, isn't there? I'm actually not sure if we're going to get there. Well, there's still room for you, mate, on the hockey team. I really don't want to play hockey. <laughs> anyway, you know, last week time we talked about uh, the idea of doing some live shows, doing some World Cricket Show live shows. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's seen, it's pretty far fetched, isn't it, at the moment? Uh, but we did talk about it. Pretty far fetched. Well, yeah. I mean, we yeah. were we were joking about it, weren't we? We weren't seriously mooting this idea, but we were talking about it. And I thought maybe people might get in touch and be like, oh, yeah, no, I'd be up for that, yeah. Radio silence, nothing. <laughs> right, OK. So I don't think we're going to do any live shows oh, anytime soon. Disappointing. Is anyone listening? Are these things on? <laughs> yeah. Because you, you're the one, you've told me that you put these out on the internet. Yeah. Is that actually that happening? I just bin them. <laughs> just bin them, just straight in the, the recycling little <laughs> bin on the computer. Well, anyway, if you are out there, and you want to get more involved in the World Cricket Show, there are a number of things that you can do. If you visit our online website, 
www.cricketshow.net. You can listen to the show on there. Uh, and you can also buy yourself a World Cricket Show t-shirt, just £15. And that includes free shipping to anywhere in the world. Check us out on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash cricket show. Click the like button there, suggest it to your friends as well. You can follow us on Twitter, at cricket show. Uh, you can follow Tony on Twitter, at Tony Cavert. <laughs> My tweet, uh, yeah, I peaked at about, I don't know, a tweet every couple of days and it's kind of gone downhill from there. <laughs> I'll try and tweet tonight. Tweet the hockey festival, Tony. I will. Send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. And the best thing you could probably do is go onto iTunes and leave a review for us on there. We do really appreciate all of those in the various stores around the world. It does massively help us out. We're going to be back next week. We might have a little break after that, but we will come back next week. Well, this first, I always hear about the breaks first, live <laughs> on the show. Yeah, uh, yeah well, I'll, I'll talk to you about it off air, but yeah, I think we'll have a little, a little one or two week break after that, but... We'll be back for another episode in a week's time. What I thought we might do, Tane, is resurrect our item, Got a Question, which we haven't done for absolutely ages because oh, no. there's been too much to talk about. I don't think there'll be quite as much to talk about next when week. When the IPL has started by next week as well. Yeah, we'll talk about the IPL as well. We'll get stuck into the IPL, but we'll also do Got, got a Question, and that is the item where we answer your questions. Uh, so send us your questions. Send us them on Facebook, Twitter, email just questions about cricket questions just about anything really one final thing before we go uh unrelated to cricket uh guernsey fc playing at the weekend aren't they in the fa vars semi-final second leg against spennymore 3-1 down after the first leg uh so yeah go guernsey Come Come on, on, lads. star striker ross allen listens to the show he's probably fallen asleep by this point <laughs> it's quite deep into the show but yeah good luck ross go bring it home mate come on ross yeah. Away the lads. All of that, all of the above. Well, that's about it, I think, for this week. Thanks a lot to you, Tone. Thanks also to Ollie, who joined us on the show very randomly Sorry about that, guys. earlier. Yeah. He was just hanging out here, wasn't he? He wanted to get involved in the show. So. Apo- I mean, apologies if it was a bit weird. Uh, but anyway, yeah, as I say, that's it. Stay in school, guys. I know it's the Easter holidays, but you've probably got some revision to do or something. So get cracking with that, and we'll see you next week. Bye for now. Not to smell your fear I do think your intro is kind of uh, it's tailor made, isn't it, for a late night? It's, you know, sofa, you know, maybe BBC One. Yeah, I'm just thinking, nice big chat show. Maybe not you as the host. Maybe me and you as the host. <laughs> All right, but, but I thought you meant like maybe like Chris Evans as the host. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but I could write his intros. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you yeah, if that's what you want, me and Chris Evans, then it's fine. <laughs> well, this was going. Matt Pryor, the hero. Monty Panazar as well. The top of the order. They can hang their heads in shame. <laughs> uh, <coughs> You're right. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> also, I'd like you remind me quite a lot of Nick Knight. Not you your cricket. You say this a lot, but why? What? <laughs> you Just your hair, and your kind of your silly catchphrases. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 